Hello again and welcome to another episode of College Football Down Under. My name is Aaron Kemp and I am joined remotely this time by Will Murden. How's it going today, Will? Look at us go here, entering into new realms of technology. I know, we don't even need to be in the same room anymore. It's a little bit disappointing, isn't it? I mean, I, like, I still enjoy our time having a bit of a giggle, talking back and forth. I'm sure we'll have some awkward handovers today or something like that, but we'll get through it. It'll be good. This is a new step in our audio production development of College Football Down Under. So, yeah, I'm kind of looking forward to it. Absolutely, and it's a necessity for uh, us with you moving off to Japan for a little while. Well, I mean, you, on your trip. You, you say like I'm moving to Japan. I'm not moving to Japan. I'm, I am going away for a few weeks. So yeah, you're leaving me for three weeks in the middle of college football season. Yeah, it's it's at the juicy start of the season as well. Like it's when uh, you know conference games kick off. We're through that kind of messy early slate where teams are playing. Kind of, I don't want to say lesser teams, but you know they're playing those out of conference games a lot of those games are warm upy feeling and perhaps don't have the intrigue or the closeness in competition or talent levels so yeah i am missing certainly an important part of the year so hopefully uh, nothing too crazy happens this year but i will miss it but i'll still be watching from the land of the rising sun yeah you'll be watching and uh, we'll still be able to chat about it if if this all goes well yeah exactly so i'll just have to take my uh smaller traveling microphone along with me but yeah it should be good all right today then we are going to have a look at the independence so we've covered off on all the conferences obviously the power five got a little bit more airtime than the group of five teams but there's just the independence to go we've got will stock market and then we're going to tie up a few other loose ends now Obviously, most of our episodes are super prepared, super organized, but that perhaps is not so much the case. There's just a few bits and pieces that we want to tidy up today. Yeah, absolutely. There's just a few things that we kind of had on the agenda and haven't had an opportunity to get into, so we thought this might be a chance for us to just shoot the shit and have a bit of a chat about Have that. a bit of a crack at it. Okay, well, let's dive straight in then to the independence. I mean, what is... What are the teams that are classified as independent? What does being independent actually even mean, Will? Talk to me. That's a good question. Our independent sides are those that are not affiliated with any conference. So there are six teams currently across the FBS uh, league that do not have an affiliation with a conference and varying levels of strength, I suppose. So there's Notre Dame, who is a very strong program, who featured in the college football playoff last year. Yeah. Uh, then on the other end of the spectrum, you have New Mexico State, who struggle to win more than three games uh, a year. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're there and anywhere in between, I suppose. Uh, so we've we've only got six teams to cover off on here, and there's a few of them that will probably glaze over pretty quickly. But we uh, we can certainly have some fun with it. Where would you like to start today, my man? Uh, I'm not too fussed. Let's let's start at the very bottom, shall we? You mentioned New Mexico State. Not suggesting that they will be at the very bottom, but they had a bit of a tough season last year. So let's talk to me about New Mexico State. Yeah, I think uh, last year was disappointing for them, and that was probably because they had their hopes up more so than they have recently. So the year before, 2017, they went 7-6. and six, So that's bowl-bound bowl for yeah. the Aggies, yeah. and they would have been thrilled with that. Um, and then last year, they had 15 starters from that side coming back again, so I'm sure that they were expecting to kind of take it to another level and, and have another successful year, but it wasn't to be. 
uh, really struggled, went back down to three and nine. So that's eight times in the last decade where they've won that three or fewer games. That is not such a good record. Uh, It's not ideal. Is there any chance that, you know, heading into this year, they can maybe turn that thing around and, and, you know, maybe push into bowl eligibility again? I mean, they've only got five home games on the schedule this year, so somehow they've they've really lucked out there. And and two of those are against Fresno State and San Diego State, who are two of the stronger group of five uh, teams, group of five sides. Yeah. So, to be honest, they're they're probably going to be back around that three win mark again. Unfortunately, yeah. And on top of that, they get Washington State, Alabama, and Ole Miss all on the road. So, I mean, they're getting paid a pretty penny for getting the beat down that they probably will but yeah i think tough sledding for the boys from new mexico state okay let's move on to the next one here massachusetts the Minutemen, one of your kind Absolutely. of ncaa favorites yeah i love to start my careers with the Minutemen <laughs> and then leave They're, them uh... when you get them to a bowl game do you ever get Absolutely. them to a bowl game uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, a bowl game, not normally uh, national championships at that stage, but I, I do do well enough to get myself a better gig, and then quickly abandon them. So Massachusetts Good. last year went went four and eight, uh, and I honestly thought they had better. I obviously wasn't following them very closely. My only real knowledge on their season was Andy Isabella and the incredible numbers that he was putting up. I know he mentioned a couple of times in our uh, have yourself a day segment last yep. year where he was going up over 150 yards receiving and then he ended up as a top three yard receiver or whatever the term is for that. So he had a massive year. I know he's left off for the NFL and has joined the Arizona Cardinals. He's gone and, you know, I'm I'm a bit fearful that they're going to take a step back from a four-win year. Yeah, I mean, that's not ideal. You've got, I mean, you've got... If there is a positive, Walt Bell is a, is a first-year coach there. He's super young. In fact, he's not even that much older than us, and he is coaching an FBS football team. He he was the offensive coordinator at Florida State and spent a little bit of time at the Terps in Maryland before that. Now, obviously, the Florida State thing's not so much to write home about from last season, but he is still you know one of those young upcoming coaches that we hear about in a few years that turns Massachusetts from a four and eight team into a bowl team and all of a sudden you know where's his next stepping stone so you know from a positive perspective for them they've got a good young coach uh, so hopefully that will put them you know in a, in a good place moving forward and, and certainly you know he is going to have to tidy up that offense and and they do lose a prolific uh, yard gainer at wide receiver and and they're on top of that, their defense is going to struggle. Uh, so he's going to need to step it up on offense and step it up on defense as well as the secondary is set to replace three starters. And, uh, you know, they're going to need to get a pass r- pass rush from somewhere as well. So a lot of fixing to be done for the Minutemen, but hopefully they can, you know, turn it around for your sake and maybe get themselves a second star on EA Sports. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge rebuild project. They are returning the few, equal fewest amount of players of all uh, teams in Div 1 football. So this could be a bit of a rebuilding year for them. Yeah, and Massachusetts probably doesn't recruit uh, itself like some of the big schools. It's not a particularly talent-rich state, I wouldn't have thought. 
up there in the northeast. But, you know, maybe they can do something. I've really got no idea too much about UMass, but good luck to the Minutemen. Absolutely. All right, let's keep this train rolling. Yep, where are we off to next? Let's have a look at Liberty. Liberty. Yeah, the Flames. The Flames. Uh, yeah, I mean, they... First season at FBS level last year. Yeah, and... The, the, the newest entrance to the mix. And, yeah, the last ones, well, for this particular set of, of realignment, there doesn't appear to be anyone on the move uh, in the next couple of years, but probably the big name for them is Hugh Freeze, uh, is the head coach there. Uh, and this is his first year. Obviously, he was let go at Old Miss after their misdemeanors around recruiting with Laquan Treadwell and uh, Robert Nakumadiche, or have you say his name. And who was their left tackle that got like he was like smoking bongs out of the Darth Vader, Darth Vader mask on draft yeah, day? Right. He and Laramie Tunzel. Yeah, it was Laramie Tunzel. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, turned out to be pretty solid too. He was, but that class obviously had a lot of skepticism around it and the legitimacy of their recruiting process, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, and Hugh Freeze was a super hot coach. Like, he was a hot name he in the was. coaching realms when things were going well, yeah. like when he was able to get this all up. He had a lot of buzz in Oxford and they were just looking like you know they were relevant again and all of a sudden they had these great recruiting classes and then it was all a little bit too, a little too good to be true unfortunately and it the wheels came off pretty quickly and he was kind of cast aside and banished from the you know power football world only to reappear in Liberty. Yeah, I, I mean, without spending too much time on Hugh Freeze, but I think that he will be back. I don't think that they will keep him down for too long uh, and he will make his way back up, uh, up, you know, the ranks of college football. It is one of the sports, and like any sports, like any big money business, you know, if you're good enough, then those misdemeanors and those little indiscretions or little which is said with it's on a bit of a sliding scale there when I say little but those misdemeanors tend to get forgotten a little bit Uh, and then if you're winning football games then you know a lot of that gets left alone so be interesting to see how he does but offensively they look pretty strong they've got a couple of really good receivers coming back Uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden had over a thousand yards last year and uh, they appear to have a few good pieces in place for them to do a really, really good job uh, on the outside and, and, you know, on that offensive side. Defense needs a little bit of work, but they could cause uh, a few problems for teams later in the season uh, as they kind of develop and settle themselves in. Yeah, I mean, this was a very good FCS team that was playing. So they're very consistent. They didn't post a losing or they haven't posted a losing record since 2005. Yep. So you you know that there's consistent solid play at this program. They had a really good win over a quality Troy team last yes, year. Yes, they did. So they would be buoyed by that. They've got a lot of experience back. I think they're going to be a, a sneaky good team. They've got a tougher schedule this time around, so they may struggle to get to a bowl game, but I'm backing them in to get it done again. Yeah, I mean, a lot of their their teams that they play or a lot of their schedule is against uh, kind of lower FBS and into that FCS team. They, they face off against the aforementioned UMass uh, and then they've got games against Hampton, Maine, uh, 
Mexico, New Mexico State again. They've still got a few tough ones as well. Syracuse, Rutgers, BYU, and they head to Virginia as well. So it's not all easy pickings for Liberty, but they should uh, get their fair share of wins and, and that Hugh Freeze name will probably start popping up again if they get to a bowl game. Absolutely. And who knows? He could be calling in hookers at another <laughs> high-profile job before we know it. Oh, Jesus. I mean, that could happen. I don't... I mean, that's what he did, right? Uh, yeah, he, I think so. And either his yeah, wife was super okay with it or super not okay with it. I can't remember what it is. <laughs> it's like a really big gap yeah. between those two things. <laughs> I know. But uh, yeah, whatever's going on in the Freeze household, he's still probably throwing a few dollar bills around. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, where would you like to go next? Great segue into BYU, isn't it? <laughs> what? Hookers to the Mormon capital of the world. Brigham Young University. I like that it. That was a gross segue, but you've gone for it. You've been aggressive. Yes. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Uh, uh, this is a very strong football team historically, and last year they would have been very disappointed with the 4-9 and nine campaign. They, they would expect a lot more than that. They would have grown used to better results than that. Where, where do you think the program's at? Uh, they had a new head coach come in. Obviously, Bronco Mendenhall left. How how do you think things are sitting at BYU? Yeah, I mean, they are what they are. Like, it's a bit of a tough one to recruit to. Uh, you've got not necessarily – like, this is one of the ones that often we talk about tough to recruit to from either uh, geographical or academically, creating some barriers that make it hard to recruit players there. But – the BYU ethos is pretty clear and ethically and culturally you need to fit in there to to make that thing work for you. But having said that, under Bronco Mendenhall, they, they did some really, really good things. Uh, and, you know, last year was okay. They... Yeah, sorry, I was selling them short year. Yeah, uh, seven and six. They, they were four and nine. Yeah, correct. Four and nine in, in 2017 and then bounced back a little bit to seven and six with a, uh, a big bowl win last yeah. year. I mean, it's it's all about the defense for them. Last year, they were fantastic. They finished 18th in the nation, uh, and they were strong and stout against the run as well. So there's a lot of and I, a lot of Polynesian names playing in the middle of that defense that I would have a go at uh, pronouncing, but I will probably stuff it up. So someone like Sione Takitaki, uh, is a player that is gone. Nice. That sounded yeah, good. I just went for it. But he's a player that's gone from that linebacking core, but they've got a lot that are still returning. So uh, Isaiah Kofisi, oh, I, can't, I, I, I murdered that. Yeah, that I no murdered good. that. Yeah, that uh, one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, he's, got, he's into that lineup and, and he will be part of that linebacking core. So I expect the defense to be really, really good again for the Cougs. It's can they get that offense going and they, they're – Turning back to uh, Zach Wilson, uh, the sophomore quarterback, and, and hopefully he can, you know, really expose and, and be that uh, dual threat quarterback that they're really hoping he he can be. He showed a fair bit last year. He only came in for seven games, and he he had a solid completion rate. He he was chucking it around. He looked like a, a player. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's where BYU have kind of got to make hay when they do get those good QBs and a really stout defense. A good quarterback plus a good defense is always a good combination. So I see them going bowling again. Uh, 
but you know, it's not like they're going to be messing around with a, a high-end bowl game. Uh, they just don't have the depth across the board or generally the athletes to be able to manage their at sometimes tough schedule this year they you know they get usc yeah, I mean, they it's, get, it's hard yeah they get the usc look, look at the look at the start yep they've got three of four games at home uh but those three home games are utah usc and yeah. washington yeah that's three of you know the best in the pac 12 and so. then they get a uh, resurging tennessee the, the, in knoxville Exactly right. That that's your road games and SEC foe. So they could quite easily be 0 and four and that can derail your season pretty quickly. What they do have on their side, I guess, is experience in life. So <laughs> maybe not on the football field, but they've got dudes coming back at like age twenty eight because they've been out on yeah, mission. They have that is they've a, lived that is the a life. Thing. They've seen things. That is a thing. They've been out to Uganda. Yeah. <laughs> they've lived that life. <laughs> You got the reference? Uh, so someone's just seen the Book of Mormon and he can't stop singing uh, the songs from it. Now, of course, it is a fantastic it me. is a fantastic musical, uh, horribly stereotypical, massively racist, and perfectly within the theme of the boys from South Park. So what more would you expect? Correct. And Brigham Young University, I, I wonder if those boys have seen that and how they feel about that. You kind of can't help but think that when sitting through a show like that. <laughs> like, are there a bunch of religious people in here and how are they taking this? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, and they paid for the privilege as well. So, hey, I'm sure they yeah, absolutely. I'm sure they enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It was a good show. Definitely worth a look. So a little bit of free publicity for the Book of Mormon. Not that they need our help. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've got a couple to go here. We have got Army. So let's head to West Point and talk about the Black Knights. What do you know about Army football for season 2019, Will? I know they had an incredible year last they year. They did. A super successful year for them. They, they went 11-2. and two. So they finished ranked 19, I believe. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time since 1996 that they've ended a year ranked. They almost knocked off Oklahoma in probably the only game, the only game that a lot of college football fans would have seen Army play. Or not seen because time. it wasn't televised and everyone Correct. was streaming it scrambling on some weird... to try and get a stream. Yeah, but then we watched it on some like Twitch thing. I don't know, it was weird. It was weird, but that uh that was Almost the case. They ended up losing Oklahoma in overtime, but still they had a really, really good year that was capped off with a huge bowl game blowout of Houston. They won 70 to 14. Yeah, and Houston were rated really, really highly. Obviously, they had a fantastic season in their own right, but this is a team that may not complete a forward pass for an entire game, and they have certainly won games doing that in the past. Jeff Munkin has turned that. Uh, army offense into a an absolute weapon and they return a whole bunch of guys that are going to run the ball uh, it's probably the only team that will name a fullback as a, as a key player because teams don't use fullbacks anymore except triple option guys so uh, guys like Connor Slomka uh, is the starting fullback there and he We'll, get, we'll see a fair bit of the ball as well. He's not just a doesn't just bang heads with people and and smash into linebackers. Although he does a fair bit of that anyway. Uh, but yeah, it's their defense as well that has been really really stout and really impressive. Uh, they've been disruptive. 
and you know using those un- generally slightly undersized but certainly athletic players because of the weight restrictions around uh, the academy schools. So they do have to be a little bit creative on the, you know, particularly on the defensive line and some of those, you know, blitzes and, and different looks that they give, which make things a little bit uneven and, and difficult for offenses to predict and, and difficult to play against. Sometimes you see their, you know, offensive linemen or defensive linemen standing up and around in huddles and they're roughly the same size as like some outside linebackers for other schools. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's difficult to recruit in the army. Who who wants to be recruited somewhere where you're probably going to get shot at at the end of your four year service? Uh, I mean, I'd rather just walk away with a mountain load of debt <laughs> and no job prospects. Yeah, okay. And not bullets flying through my head. Okay. So it, it it can be hard for them to find the dudes, but what they do have, as you would expect, is a hell of a lot of discipline yeah. and they are uh, a hard unit. So there's one game that I see on their schedule against uh, Michigan yeah. in early September that I think is going to be an interesting challenge for the Wolverines. Uh, Army are going to take it right to them. So that is one that you know you would you would be a little bit nervous about if you were a, a fan in NRL. Yeah, and especially because the triple option isn't something that is seen frequently. Jim Harbour and his uh, and I don't know his coaching career well enough, but he may not have ever coached against it. Uh, I'm sure it's tough to get your scout team running he, running that right. at the same level that they're doing exactly. And you know they'll probably just out athlete them at the end of the day, but. It, it is one of those ones that is really, really awkward because you just don't have the time to put in to defending the option when you're worried about, you know, Michigan State and Ohio State and Penn State and these spread out Big Ten offenses or Wisconsin coming and run the ball in a pro-style set or whatever. You know, to spend the time to defend that Army triple option, it's not easy. So uh, that will be an interesting yeah. one to watch and it wouldn't surprise me if we see you know, like a 21-10 lead going into the half for Army or, or, you know, that pops up along the stat line at the bottom. I think their Achilles heel this year is just going to be on the defensive side. As you were mentioning before, they don't really have the size and they've had a lot of turnover there. So they, they might be in a bit of trouble containing other teams. I think they're still going to be able to control the ball and, and get a lot of possession which is, you know, critical for their style of game, but I just don't think they're going to be able to stop people when they need to. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, let's jump to the final team that is independent, a team that takes their independence extremely seriously and they're particularly passionate about it to the point of sheer arrogance, and that is the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. So last year they went 12-1, and their only loss being in the college football semifinal against Clemson where they were... Embarrassed is probably not too harsh a word in this case, actually. Um, This was a team that I predicted would fire their head coach, but I got that horribly wrong last year. You did. You did. I took great uh, enjoyment out of that. Yeah, I swung and I missed pretty badly. Uh, But it'll be interesting to see how the Fighting Irish go this year. I think they take a step back. They lose Brandon Wimbush to UCF. Not that I think that is a massive deal, but I don't think Ian Book is a super quarterback by any means. I know he's mentioned in Heisman talk and all that already, but I don't see it. He is certainly dual threat. He's very capable on the ground. 
Um, and he certainly can throw the ball as well. I mean, he threw for over uh, 2,500 yards last year, but they lose Dexter Williams at running back. So they will be after someone to fill that void as well. I also think losing, uh, you know, Miles Boykin on the outside, who was really, really good for them, particularly late into the season. I don't know that they've got the receivers on the outside. So offensively, they've got a lot to cover. Uh, they've got a lot to replace, and I don't know if they can do it this year. I think they take a step back. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there is a, a lot to replace. Uh, I I like Ian Book. I think he's a good quarterback. I think he's very similar to Sam Ellinger. Uh, a, lot, a lot of similarities in their two-way game style. They they don't mind getting physical with it uh, and trying to run through opponents. So I, I see a lot of similarities between both teams as well. I think offensively they're still going to be okay. It's defensively that I have concerns. I guess with Notre Dame, that's often been a strength of theirs, especially last yeah. year. They were one of the best defensive units in in all the country. Where this year, you know, they've they've only got six coming back on that side of the ball, which is you know still decent. I think there are quite a few impact players that they're gonna uh, miss, and you know the the schedule's not easy. No, I mean, they've got to travel to Georgia and Michigan and Duke and Stanford. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then they've also got USC, Virginia Tech, Virginia on the. So of those, it's reasonable that you can expect they're up up against it. I mean, anyone having to go to Georgia and Michigan, that's that's not. Yeah, easy. and Notre Dame will continue to talk about how they've got the toughest schedule again each year. But you you aren't right. I know how much oh, that hurts you. Yeah. Anyway, uh. I think, yeah, the biggest issue for them, like you said, on that defense, and it's not that they lose a particular defensive group. It's not like they've lost the secondary like Washington have or they lose their defensive front like Clemson do. They've lost guys from, you know, the defensive line. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So Tavon Coney, if we start in the very middle, is that tackling machine at linebacker. But alongside him, they lost Drew Tranquil as well. if you head into the defensive secondary, Jordan Love was sorry, Julian Love was an absolute weapon at corner. Uh, they've now got to replace him, but I think possibly the biggest loss will be Jerry Tillery, who played uh, on the nose and is a big space eater. He was ragdolling dudes, and you had to account for him. Uh, at all times now it's not that he just was that straight one technique he was a little bit more versatile than that but he will be one particularly on a on a Notre Dame defensive line that puts a lot of pressures on their in, a lot of pressure on their interior defensive linemen to wreak havoc and not only that but keep their linebackers pretty clean to allow those guys to clean up those tackles and and that is going to be the big area that I think they struggle yeah no I'm right there with you Mark All right. Well, that kind of, in a way, takes us through all of the college football teams of the Power Five, certainly the independents and loosely through the group of five teams. So we are now within a couple of weeks, by the time this goes out, we will be probably around about a week from kickoff between the Canes and the Gators on the 24th of August. So it is getting super, super close now. But before we do that, I know you're super excited about this segment, but take us through your brand new idea for Will's Stock Market. <laughs> God. You like that, didn't you? Oh, so much. 
Here we go. So we get to play some stock trading here. Anyone would think uh, that you're an accountant. I mean, like everyone knows you're one of those douchebag suit types, but yeah. you. I, I, I guess you're just trying to call me boring here. Is that what you're getting at? Well, no, not really, but jeez, oh, just love gambling, loves the stock market. Uh, yeah, I, look, there's a few things that I like that get the heart racing, I suppose. And <laughs> one, of those, one of those is putting your money up and then watching it disappear. <laughs> it certainly has a, a good way of doing that. So I figured let's transfer this over into the college football world. Uh, and essentially what I'm trying to throw out here is I'm going to put forward some teams and their current odds to win the national championship. And you can tell me whether you're buying up stock in this and think, yeah, that's good good value. You don't necessarily think that they're going to win it, but you think that those odds will improve so that you can sell them later on. <laughs> or teams yeah. that are overrated at the moment and you're going to sell on those because they're going to plummet down the rankings because they're no good. Okay. And we, of course, are super prepared for this. So, yep, hit me. Absolutely. All right. I'm going to th- start things off. Oregon, currently at plus 220. How's this American thing work? Is that 22 bucks? <laughs> plus, sounds, sounds about right. Yeah, but don't at, you at get... 22 bucks. Yeah, but don't you get your what you bet on it back as well? Don't worry about it. Just 22 bucks. <laughs> okay. Uh, right. Uh, I am probably going to sell on Oregon at the moment. Just in the last couple of weeks, I'm just... There's just something about Oregon that I still think they probably win the Pac-12. And like everything at this time of year, I can find a million reasons why they will go on and win the Pac-12, go undefeated and win the national championship. But I can also find a whole bunch of reasons why they will lose a bunch of games, finish eight and four and play in some mediocre bowl game. Okay, so you're selling on Oregon. So I'm probably going to sell on Oregon. I still want to see Justin Herbert do what he promises and use that athletic ability and use that god-given talent to throw the football down the field and actually you know get Oregon a high profile win and if he does that to start the season I will certainly be buying back up yeah I'm I'm more of an accumulator of Oregon stock I would say Uh, I'm not buying big but I'd be picking up a few as time went on I, I like where they're sitting at the moment I really like Justin Herbert I know you know, the, the two of us have kind of discussed previously that he's not quite there yet. He hasn't shown it. He hasn't shown that killer instinct yet. But what I have seen is a hell of an ability to throw the football. And that's a, a pretty handy trait to have at the college football level. So I am backing him in and them in to be the best in the Pac-12. So I'll, I'll buy up stock in them at the moment. Okay. Good luck to you. Hopefully they don't run that pistol so much. That was not successful for them last year. Anyway, pushing on. Let's go. Let's look at Nebraska. Uh, 70 bucks. Yeah, I'll buy on Nebraska. Okay. I, I, for two reasons. Simply Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez. I think Martinez has got Heisman written all over him. I know he's probably not going to do that this year and maybe not ever, but I would be surprised if at some stage in his career he doesn't go to the finals in New York uh, I think he will be around the mark and I rate Scott Frost as an offensive coordinator it always takes teams time to you know once they've got their head coach in place to actually be able to assert their 
culture on that football program, assert their culture on the town even. And it's going to take Scott Frost at least a year, which he's had. And now, you know, they will need to settle in. But I am, I'm buying big on Nebraska. I think they will give it a real shake this year in the Big Ten. Okay, yeah. I'm not as bullish on them as you are. I am somewhat interested in purchasing some Nebraska stock because I think they are going to be a much better football team this year. They obviously got off to a terrible start last year, losing their first, what was it, six games? Like the worst start in Nebraska history, but yeah. Yeah, and that ain't going to repeat itself. Scott Frost is, as you said, uh, a good football mind and he had done an excellent job at UCF I expect them to definitely take another step and not quite be competing in the Big Ten yet I still think they're a ways away from the likes of your Michigan Ohio States but they're certainly going to be on the improve which is exciting for those in Lincoln because it's been a little while and it's a probably a little bit more exciting than you and your cautious take on dabbling in the stock market. Yeah, you're I'm just right. going to buy a little bit here, a little bit there. I've created a boring stock market game and now I'm going to attack it with about as much energy as a teaspoon. Yeah, no, that's probably fair. But I guess when you've been burnt as many times as I have <laughs> in the stock market, investing in these shady little things that you're like, oh, this could blow up. You know what it could also do? Just take all your money. Like it could just disappear. Dude, I've seen Wolf of Wall Street. It all works out in the end. Yes, see, so have I. And I didn't get to do any lose. So <laughs> this is ridiculous. <laughs> okay, let's push on. Uh, let's have a look at TCU. Oh, anything there? I think. Where are they sitting at the moment? Where are the TCU odds? Like two fifty. Ooh. I'll probably really. Yeah, you get you, they're getting pretty large out here now. Uh, I would probably, I'd I'd buy on TCU. I think there's no way that they have two bad seasons in a row. It just doesn't happen. the The bounce of the ball didn't go their way. They lost a lot of tight games, uh, and I think the Horn Frogs bounce back from a pretty mediocre season last year. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm with you. I mean, we do talk down TCU. I feel like they still went bowling and played in one of the worst bowl games ever, but still went bowling, which is not, you know, a terrible year. Uh, no, it's not, but I think in 2017 they won like 10 games. Yeah, absolutely. And, and they're always hustling or were hustling around for a uh, Big 10 championship, uh, sorry, Big 12 championship, but, you know, that hasn't happened last year, didn't happen last year, and they – they just don't put back-to-back bad seasons together under Gary Patterson. So, yeah, I'm not too concerned about TCU. Okay. Uh, what about Virginia? Sell, 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 sell. No, not interested. No, I think, uh, you know, Bryce Perkins is a good quarterback. He was one of, um, scarily enough, one of the better quarterbacks in the ACC and certainly one of the better quarterbacks in the Coastal. I just don't think that happens again. Uh, he's lost a lot of his weapons, particularly with Olamide Zacchaeus uh, at receiver. So there's going to be more pressure put on him to be able to, you know, hold up not only the passing game but also the running game as well. Uh, so, and the other one is Jordan Ellis has gone out of the backfield. So I'm a little bit nervous about what Bryce Perkins is going to have to do. And I just don't see it from Virginia. I also, as much as I like Bronco Mendenhall, they just don't have the talent in the ACC 
So they will be okay, but I'm not buying this whole Virginia's going to win the Coastal kind of talk that is going on at the moment. Yeah, okay. I'm steering clear of that Coastal division if for everything, at least to begin with anyways. So it's, it's Virginia Tech for me, and then the rest is just... I- I'm I'm still back. unsure on where this Virginia Tech talk has come from. Look, I I've seen it happen. I've just got a feeling in my bones, mate. I reckon Virginia Tech's going to be your man crush team for the year. I think they are because I've just got a good feeling about them this year. But, but what, is there any justification for this, it's or is in, it just that Justin Fuentes? Is it just that Justin Fuente has made his team worse the past two years? Is it because their mascot is a turkey? Uh, what is it? It's the Marbo. <laughs> it's the Marbo. <laughs> I can't remember the rest of that line, but yeah. Yeah, no. And I, most I, of our American listeners are going to have no idea what we're talking about. Absolutely not. Watch the castle. Do yourself a favor. It's, it's a ripper. Um, no, they, they've got a lot of talent coming back. I think it's going to start to come together for them. They've got a great Aussie punter. What, what, more, what more could you ask for, really? All right, okay. I'm going to throw one more team because this – this segment's just not good. It's not going great. <laughs> I'm glad you've been honest with it. It is dry and tough to get through, but yep, hit me. Uh, let's go UCF, Central Florida. They've been darlings for two years. They kind of got smacked around in their bowl game. Uh, they've, been, they've been talking a lot. They were kind of that, that little fella who chats a lot, talks a big game, and then finally came up against uh, a big boy in LSU and you know got what they had yeah. coming to them. So he's kind of so he's like the Tony Liberatore of football teams. Is that where we're going? Is that it's like did he ever get whacked? I I don't, I don't know. Did he copper? I, Who? I, I don't know. I feel like if you tried to whack him, he would just kind of like bite your fist. <laughs> like you would try to punch him, and he would just bite onto it, and then you'd be like waving it around, and he would be hanging off of it, and you'd be like, ah. That's a bit of a. Th- that's a bit of a throwback, though. Like n- late nineties Western Bulldogs. In fact, they were probably Footscray. They would have been Footscray. With Scotty Wind and Jose Romero. Yeah, he's anyway, a superstar. <laughs> pushing on. Uh, I can't even remember who we're talking about here in UCF, this. UCF, my friend. Boring as sin. Yeah, uh, Josh Hoipel and uh, the Knights. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that's as good as they can hope for. They, Yes, they're a very good team. Yes, they're well coached. But when it comes down to it, can they win that big bowl game to prove it? I, I just don't see it. And... And we'll, we'll probably get to this question a little bit later, but they're not going to get their shot. They're just not. Even if they run the table, they're just not going to get their shot at going to the college football playoff. And probably last year proved that correct. So I think they're, you know, they will be really, really good. They will be in the American again and be at the top of that. But they're not going to go and be the old BCS Bowl busters. That's not going to happen anymore. So, yeah, I don't know where I sit. They'll probably drop one or two. Yeah, okay. Uh, probably. I, I think it's going to be more than one or two. Uh, I think they lose to Cincinnati this year. You um, are a big Cincinnati fan as well. Yeah, I'm getting all my little darlings in here. Yeah. For season 2019, I, I think they take a step backwards and someone else from the group of five starts to shine. And who is that? It's Cincinnati. <laughs> oh, God. James Smith is the punter there, just to drop a, an Aussie name in that one. Sure okay, is. let's move on. Uh, thank you for that 
you know, excruciatingly painful. Uh, Look, that's what the preseason's all about, mate. Sometimes we need to get some of these ideas out there, find what works, find what doesn't. I don't know if it's because we're not in the same room, not looking at each other's eyes, and there's like a facial expression thing that we kind of work off of each other here, but that just felt flat. Oh, mate, and and I don't like. I don't want to point fingers. I don't want to blame people, but this seems like it's your fault. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll wear it. I'm I'm not one to shirk uh, responsibility. I can. I, I can. Okay, cool. Let, let's push on. <laughs> let's get let's get out of this black hole and let's move on to tying up a couple of loose ends. Now, these are kind of questions for you that I'm gonna that I'm gonna pitch. In order to kind of just give our listeners a bit more of a feel about what college football may be, um, if you were just in it for the previews, then please feel free. Thank you for your download. Feel free to go and make yourself a hot chocolate. Go and pour yourself a beer. Uh, you know, go and I don't know, back one out. Whatever you've got to do. I hope you're Probably not on now- the bus. <laughs> yeah mate like yeah don't back one out on the bus uh i don't even know where to go with this but uh yeah we just want to you know a little bit of a deep dive into a couple of questions that are perhaps permeating college football at the moment and we've seen a bit of a change around college football Uh, but the first one for you william is is the playoff a good thing for college football so the playoff has been in existence for what now five years, I think yeah, five some, or six, something like that. Yeah. Um, what kind of has evolved from this? Why is it different to the BCS? And has it been a positive thing? Do you think? I believe that the playoff is certainly a good thing. So I was a big proponent of it being uh, implemented. I was all about it. I thought the BCS was a bit of a joke where you had a computer essentially define uh, who was pl- who the best two teams were. So that was... A- partially, partially. It wasn't totally the computer. Yeah, but I don't know. I, I guess I might have just been bitter of my 2011 season at Oklahoma State where we were robbed by that stupid algorithm. And on that, it, it just felt like you're always going to be leaning towards the SEC because they had a perception of a really good schedule, which, you know, they they may well do. But I like the fact that four teams allows you to see it play out on the field. So I still think the SEC is and has been the best conference for some time, but I want to see it played out on the field, not hypothetically or in Twitter chats or shit like that. I want to see people get their shot. I would love for us to push from four teams to eight teams. That That's my ideal. I think eight teams is where it would be great. You get all of the conference champions get an automatic berth. So f- from the power, from, five. from the power five, so five straight in, you have one reserve spot for a group of five team, whoever that may be. And then two, whoever else, I don't really care where they come from. They can get voted in. They can win a lottery. I don't give a shit. They can round that out. <laughs> okay. And then that what? way we get to see all of the champions plus whoever else is deserving play off for the national championship. Okay, interesting. I, I see, I see what you're saying here, and I guess if the purpose is to find the national champion, then I think that's what you have to do. You've got to move to eight games. 
if that is the purpose. And I don't know if that's how I feel about college football anymore. I used to. I used to think, you know, when I wasn't as invested in a particular team and I just like to see, you know, good football being played and I wanted to see that national championship and I wanted parity. But I think the issue that has come about with the semifinals and the college football playoff is the fact that teams now, when they drop a game, particularly if it's not a particularly good game to drop, they are perhaps out of the running. And if they drop a second game, their season is done. Okay, And there is a real risk that as a fan base, uh, we know that the college football viewership is diminishing, particularly in stadium. Now, this is an issue that we're going to have to deal with here across in Australia because we're watching on TV all the time, obviously. But viewership in the stadium is diminishing. And if a team like, hypothetically, a Wisconsin or a Nebraska, which is a relatively good team, relatively high profile, but if they drop two games and they're currently sitting at four and two, People stop going to the games because they're just not invested anymore. There's no purpose because they can't win at all. And that is the direction that it's heading. It, On top of that, it devalues those bowl games, which have been historically so important. The Rose Bowl, uh, the Orange Bowl, the Fiesta Bowl, whatever it is, those games have always been super, super important and it has given some teams some fantastic matchups. But those bowl games now are devalued. They don't matter anymore. They are just a stepping stone, a semi-final to the national championship game, which I think is a little bit disappointing. Yeah, okay. I, I don't agree with your first point. I don't quite understand how it's any different with the, the current system and you know your team dropping a few early and then being out of the running because that was the case before and it is the case now. In terms of the bowl games, I do agree. Uh, the, the big marquee Rose Bowls, those those matchups that you loved have certainly been devalued now when they do get rotated in. And even when they're not semifinal games, they don't quite have the luster that I feel they used to have. Yeah. Uh, they've been expanded out to the New Year's Six or whatever it is rather than the the four that we had before. And it just it, – it has taken a little bit away from that. But I think if you had an eight-team semifinal run at it, you could kind of have those four bowl games back – get the luster around each of them. There's no rotations out of there. Uh, you win that and then that gets you through to the semifinal. Semifinal is kind of like a, a standalone sort of dealio and then you have the national championship on that. So uh, just a couple more questions on that then though, but you obviously don't have your bowl tines. Then obviously the Pac-12 team has always gone to the Rose Bowl uh, and that wouldn't occur and that doesn't necessarily occur now either depending on the rotation of those bowl games. Is that of any significance whatsoever? Yeah, I guess that's, and- that's where you would throw preference to. So I think you, you were, if obviously you're going to have a Big Ten team Pac- and a Pac-12 yeah, right. team yeah. in. So that team would always play in the Rose Bowl. I would say not always because you would still want it to be seeded in a, a way that was, you know, fair, I suppose, for the team that had the most successful season during the year. So you would still seed teams from one through to eight. But where possible, you would have it so that the Rose Bowl was tied into the historical, uh, you know, institutions or conferences where they would normally align. Okay, and secondly then, you've if you're going to eight, you're creating an extra game? Absolutely. More football. Everybody wins. I, 
Okay, so more money yeah. uh, for the colleges at least, certainly not the players, but does that mean that you drop one during the regular season? How is that being managed or those teams are just expected to play an extra game? I am good either way. If you play an extra game, I think that can be done, run the season a week longer, start it a week earlier, whatever it is. It's not as if it's an overly long football season to begin with anyways. If for whatever reason, there is an argument against that, and I'm sure there's probably a valid one out there. I am also cool with dropping off your FF, FCS tune-up game, that, yeah. that mid-season one. You can still have your, your early one, but that mid-season one that seems to pop up in a number of spots across the year where... We're not looking at anyone there, SEC. Absolutely not. Uh, I'm, I'm happy <laughs> for that one to go off the schedule and for, you know, the that to be replaced with the extra round of playoffs. Okay, interesting. All right, well, I mean, hit us up. Let us know on uh, Instagram or on Twitter about your thoughts around the college football playoff. Has it been an improvement for the game itself? Has it improved the spectatorship? Has it improved the product of college football as a whole? Um, please do let us know at CFB Down Under. Um, and whilst we're here, we might as well continue this plug. Please do leave us a review on your pod catcher of choice, whether that's iTunes um, or your podcast app or Stitcher or whatever the other myriad um, places that you can get your podcasts from. All right, my second question for you then, William, is, is it possible for a middle-of-the-road team? Now, I don't exactly know how I'm going to define this, but I think probably there's one team in the Big 12 that jumps out to me, but a, a perennial middle-of-the-road team, 6-6 six and six team, that is there a chance that they ever can push up and be nationally relevant on a consistent basis? So a team like a Boston College who consistently goes 6-6, six and six, a team like Virginia who is probably middle of the road but then occasionally has a a good couple of seasons if they jag a quarterback. Uh, who else can I throw into that mix? An Arizona or an Arizona State. Are those teams ever going to be or can they become powerhouses? Uh, I think there's certainly an opportunity for it to happen. So let's take a look at someone like Clemson as an example, right? Probably not great, but if you go between 2000 and 2009 and and have a look at uh, how that team went, I think they were fairly middle of the road, you know? Yeah. They certainly weren't competing for national championships across that period. They weren't bad. They weren't great, but... They then have made some changes. They got a hell of a head coach in. Uh, they've built uh, a program and a culture that has just continually gone from strength to strength, and now they are a dominant force across the uh, the college football landscape. And that was all triggered by the hiring of Darbo Sweeney in 2010. Okay, so so what you're saying then is if you get the right coach, you are a fair shot at making that turnaround happen. I believe that is the key aspect for a program to do. It, it's the most important thing is that hiring of the head man and enabling them to deliver on their vision, whatever that may be. 
Uh, different people go about it different ways. Obviously, Nick Saban's Alabama is very different to Clemson, uh, Darbo's Clemson team in how they go about it. But there is one thing that is very similar. They win a lot of football games. Yeah, they do. I also think those teams have historically been quite strong. Obviously, Alabama, arguably the most successful team in college football history. Absolutely. But yeah, I I just I guess I just wanted to give hope to some of those other teams or or to feel like those teams were relevant and that they could at some stage turn it around if they jag the right coach. I guess that leads to another question. So a classic one that I was referring to earlier in the Big Twelve would be Matt Campbell at Iowa. Now everyone believes that they have got their coach. But what is the chance that Matt Campbell stays in Ames, Iowa for the entirety of his football coaching career and allows them to be successful over an eight, 10-year period and potentially in that time actually have a crack at the Big 12 and maybe even a national championship? Yeah, that's the killer, isn't it? I mean, it seems incredibly unlikely that Matt Campbell will be around long term and that's just from the news that you hear on the outside. Who knows? Maybe he is down for the cause, but it just doesn't seem like that's going to be the case. It, it very much seems like he's going to be uh, very much sought after in the NFL potentially, or if they have a successful year here, certainly at a number of powerful programs, historically powerful programs with a lot bigger bank roles uh, across the college landscape. Okay, is there any talk about places he may go? I'm putting you on the spot here, but there's a few hot seats already starting to get a little bit warm at the moment. So Clay Helton, obviously, at USC. Gus Malzahn at Auburn. What are the other coaches perhaps around the country that may feel like their seat is getting a little bit toasty? Uh, You've got USC, uh, obviously, as you mentioned. Um, I think... Ed Orgeron at LSU is another one that, I mean, that spot there is always under such scrutiny. No matter how good your football team is, if you're not winning 11 games, it feels like you're a failure. So yeah, that's a one to keep an eye on. Uh, Auburn, I, th- I think, is another tough spot for Gene even though they have a very good football team, they just have a really tough draw this year and it's a similar situation to LSU. It's just expectations are super, super high. So, yeah, those are the ones that immediately jump out. Um, I'm sure something else will come up across the year as someone has a disappointing year. Uh, Is Harbour worth having a look at again? I mean, his name comes up every year. Is he someone that may get the flick Oh look, he's certainly going to uh, going into the year with huge expectations. They have a very good football team this year. They're returning the quarterback. He's supposed to be that quarterback guy, so you expect to see progress there. You expect to see them knock off the big rival that is Ohio State. I mean, that's the hurdle that they haven't been able to get over and they need to do that if if he wants any sort of uh, security in that job. It, whilst that's not happening, he's certainly not safe there. So I think, yeah, that's certainly a position that, that could be up for it, although they are big on the whole Michigan man. Yes, they are, which I think comes with its own set of issues. I think some other names probably to keep an eye on. I think Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech will probably feel his butt a little bit toasty, although if they go by Will's ridiculous pre- uh, prediction of them, 
uh, winning the ACC Coastal, I think, yep. uh, then that probably won't happen. Uh, Willie Taggart is probably another one at Florida State who got off to a really shaky start last year and Florida State missed a bowl game. And now, you know, he is probably feeling the pressure and has made that offensive switch to Kendall Bryles coming across from Houston. So he's probably another one. Uh, and I'm like you said, I'm sure there will be some more emerge as the season progresses. But it appears that they're possibly not going to be a big name move uh, this season, or certainly not off the bat. Although with college football, you can never tell. Exactly right. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of our first remote uh, college football down under episode. It's a bit of a different feel for us and a bit of a different sound for you guys as well, no doubt. Uh, like I said, please do hit us up on Instagram and on Twitter at College Football Down Under. Um, you've been doing a fair bit of work on the socials recently, Will, just hitting up a few of the Aussie boys and, and getting them ready to go for season twenty. Yeah, we've got a bit of a player profile series going on on the Instagram page at the moment, so I'm trying to get a bit of a, uh, what do you call it, like a game card feel about that and just chucking out some of the achievements that the guys have done in 2018. It's it's really quite impressive how well the Australians have done, especially punting over there. So starting to get that out there and really just keen to, to get into this year, I suppose. Yeah, no doubt. And next episode, of course, is our 2019 season launch, it. which I know you are looking you are looking forward to this one. Not we'll, one to miss. We will not one to miss. We will bring all the uh, award, you know, uh, watch list guys. So we've got the Ray Guy Award, of course, for the nation's best punter. We'll check out who is making waves there in the preseason. We will be having a look at Heisman te- uh, Heisman potentials we will be looking at playoff potentials we'll be making uh, out you'll be making your bold yeah. predictions for the year yeah, as we well will be making our bold predictions mate not just me mm, well i did not i hit one last year i think i missed horribly on the other two but i think i did hit one at some stage um and we'll be going over a whole bunch of stuff there so that episode could run a little bit longer but we're excited about it um college football is in sniffing distance i can just about taste it now anyway on behalf of that guy over there and by over there i mean quite a way away uh Thank you for listening to us blabber on again. Uh, we have covered all the team previews uh, and we are getting set for a big season 2019. So my name is Aaron Kemp. On the other side of this radio is Will Murden and we will see you next time.